Coming up this week on Medical Minefield, Children's Commissioner Rachel D'Souza. Nearly half of girls we spoke to aged 18 to 21 had experienced a violent sex act. I mean, I use that example about a young girl going for her first kiss with a boyfriend and he put his arms around her neck and tried to strangle her because he'd seen it in pornography. And there's clearly an element of confusion for boys too. They're looking at this thinking they should be doing it and it's absolutely not acceptable. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons. And I'm Ethan Ennels. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're asking why are Generation Z so screwed up about sex? As always, we'd like to know what you think. If you have a question or comment, you can tweet us at MedMinefield or email us on health at menonsunday.co.uk. Ethan, we were all pretty disturbed in the office, weren't we, by the headlines reporting this review by the Children's Commissioner for England into young people and their porn consumption. Some pretty startling lines there. For instance, that one in 10 children have watched pornography by the time they are nine. So young. This is the fact that seemed to have been picked up the most. Nearly half of young people believe that women expect or enjoy rough sex, apparently. Um, And rough sex could be anything from strangling, choking, slapping... And uh, I don't know if there was anything else. That's that's all I I, I read. Sounds but, shocking enough as it is. Exactly. And also, I found this pretty striking, that the majority of 18 to 21-year-olds, that's 79% of 18 to 21-year-olds, had seen pornography involving at least one sexually violent act before turning 18, which is mad to me. But maybe I'm just old, which is why we've roped you in, Ethan, to be the voice for the young people. Yes, because I am a Zoomer, as they say. And an expert in in <laughs> Zuma's sexual preferences, maybe. I, don't know. I, know I wouldn't go that me. far. Why do you think that this is uh, this is the case? I think it's quite simple, really. It's the internet and it's mobile phones. We know that young children have more access to pornography than they did ten years ago, twenty years ago, and that's including the sexually explicit pornography. But that also includes you know, suggestive content on TikTok and Instagram, which you don't need age verification to reach. So I think that children are exposed to all forms of sexual content at a much younger age. And my feeling is, is that that probably leads to heightened curiosity about the more extreme stuff, because the kind of standard pornography becomes almost kind of normal and boring to them by kind of mid-teenage years. I find that disturbing. Yeah, totally. So it's for you, it's an access issue. It's purely the fact that this is out there, this video content is out there, and so that therefore young people are seeking it out and watching it. Yeah. But what I find weird is that the number of young people who don't see something like a woman being choked and automatically think, well, that's awful, I'm going to turn it off. Instead, they're thinking... That's sexy. Mm. Explain. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a hard question. I'm not sure I can explain that. But I I do know that one thing that's interesting is you you see there's a lot more, well, there's a lot more sexual assault in schools than there used to be. Uh, There was the whole 
Everyone's Involved mm. campaign from last year done by the young girls who was called... Uh, everyone's Invited, ev- yeah. Everyone's Invited, yeah, by Soma Sara. It was a young woman who spoke out about her own sexual assault experience and, and was kind of met with thousands upon thousands of submissions from young girls at school. And, and there's this shocking figure she talks about, the fact that, um, according to police figures in England and Wales, one child is raped in school on every single school day. And... Primary school figures alone show three sexual assaults are reported to police every single day. I mean, that's terrible. That is that is absolutely shocking. I can't I can't say that it surprises me. Also, I wonder if that if there has been an increase or if it's always been that way, and it's just that now that's young true. women um you know have have more of a voice and are able to articulate what it is that's happening to them. Yeah. I actually went on the Everyone's Invited website and I, I had a read of some of their submissions, and this one from a young girl I thought was particularly interesting. It says, and it's quite, it makes for quite disturbing reading, I have been asked by a boy at school if I want to suck his, and if I have done it to another boy. I've also been slapped in the face by a boy. This is just normal stuff that happens at school all of the time. There's no point in reporting it because nothing will happen. It's just how school is now. The teachers don't do anything, and if I tell my parents, they will just be over the top, and then it will make things worse anyway. And did you see that on the Everyone's Invited website, they've now had to stop stop taking submissions because they've just had so, so many. many that they can't process them all. Yeah. I mean, as a young-ish, not really that young anymore, woman. No, you're still young, <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. I can tell you countless stories about not only things that have happened to me, but also friends of mine. Now, when I look back at it, that I think, God, that was really not okay. But it was quite difficult then to identify what was perhaps mm, you were doing in it to, to very much please somebody else completely at the sort of mercy of, of your own safety, really. I think what's been the most surprising thing to some of us in the office when we've been discussing this is that it seems women are less adverse to this stuff than perhaps you might think that they would be. I personally don't think that there are as many women who are really into very rough sex as maybe some of the statistics suggest. But you've been looking into this, haven't you? And you think that my hunch is, is wrong. <laughs> My personal opinion is that it's important to separate these horrible cases of sexual assault and rape from people who enjoy a, a different form of sex to what's conventional. Um, there was a study done in the States a few years back, Midwestern University, they polled 5,000 students and found that 79% of them had taken part in rough sex and that's hair pulling, spanking, choking. And the vast majority said that they enjoyed it. Around 37% said they do it regularly. And it does seem that men are more likely to instigate it. But a high proportion, around 40 to 50% of women, say they also enjoy it. And I think it's important not to get those two things conflated because, you know, if you are into stuff like slapping or choking, then that's your own decision, right? If everyone's consenting in it, then why is it someone else's business? But that's a totally separate issue to young girls at school being forced into doing something they're not comfortable with at all. My problem is the implicit message there when, I mean, let's be honest, the choking normally happens to women. It doesn't normally happen to men. And what's the message there if we normalise that as just part of a fun, frisky sexual culture that everyone's doing and it's empowering. Like, I personally don't think it's empowering to be hurt and 
I think it's demoralising. I mean, I understand some people might be quote unquote into that, but are you really into that? Are women really enjoying that? To what extent can women really enjoy that? Is that not just wrapped up in very complicated misogynistic ideals that women have had to swallow for years and years? But don't you think there's also a danger of demonising people for their sexual preferences? I mean, it's one thing to say, are people really into rough sex? Is that not a slippery road towards saying, are some people really gay or that just because of the culture they've been bred into? I think you have to respect people's desires as long as it's consensual for everyone involved. I don't know how many women really truthfully and honestly, if they were given a choice of any sexual activity, would take being strangled. I don't think you can speak for every woman, though. Well, I can. (laughs) (laughs) there we go sorry i'm podcast i'm coming coming across as a prude but oh wow um but now we're going to speak to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about on the line now is rachel d'souza who is the children's commissioner for england who was behind this report rachel thank you so much for sparing some time to talk us through your report today we're so grateful one question that I wanted to ask you to start with was what led you to want to do this research? Why were you interested in the topic? Before I became Children's Commissioner, I'd been like a teacher and a head teacher for 31 years and run just before for 10 years, I'd run a group of 14 schools. And I was starting to see more and more examples and cases of where harmful things, viewing of pornography, and the impact of that on children, particularly older teenage girls. So I I, I had a sort of natural that I'd noticed that the problem was growing, and particularly with the advent of like social media over over the last few years. But then when I came into the role, we did this massive survey of children called, we called it the Big Ask. I got Marcus Rashford to launch it with me. And we got over half a million responses. It's the biggest survey of children ever. They were just coming out of lockdown. It was 547,000 children from every local authority area, really big survey for 18-year-olds. And we asked them, what, as you come out of lockdown, what are you worried about preventing you from thriving? You know, what do you need to thrive? What, what matters to you? And also, what do you want for your future? And one of the big issues that did come across was that their experience of the online world, not feeling safe on the online world, been on social media too much, mm. and this pornography issue came out. So I was intrigued. I got a group of 100 or so 16 to 21 year olds from London, from different colleges, different areas, and brought them into the Department for Education, where I my offices are. And I asked them, will you help me write something for your parents, saying what I wish my parents had known about the online world mm. and what you'd want for your younger siblings in terms of you know, their experience on the online world? And oh, my goodness, it was a complete revelation. What were you most surprised by? From that group, it was how widespread things like sending of self-generated images, really serious, you know, hardcore porn. Self-generated images, you're talking about, I think, what the kids call nudes. (laughs) That's right. And actually, our study shows this. Over 50% of girls have have had those images sent to them, as well as sending their own. But it was also just how hardcore the pornography was that they'd all seen Mm. and how it was impacting on their behaviours with each other. And they were really worried about it and and upset about it and sort of thinking, you know, we want to protect our younger siblings from this. They were getting it off social media. And I really wanted to look more into this because I could see it was affecting their behaviours. I mean, some of the stories were really graphic. And this was just a really lovely young bunch of youngsters. And I just thought, gosh, this really needs looking into seriously because it's actually 
blighting a lot of the girls' lives mm. and, frankly, the boys. The boys are just a sort of, you know, there's a natural curiosity about sex. There's a natural sort of desire to try to look at things. And, you know, when I was young, that might mean, you know, taking down a top shelf magazine or something. That, whereas they're seeing really hardcore stuff and they're thinking it's normal. One statistic that has been pulled out from the report that's really disturbing is this idea that nearly half of young people believe that women expect or enjoy rough sex. And I think you detailed in the report that rough sex involves strangling, choking, slapping, that kind of thing. I struggled to find in the report whether that what percentage of that was young girls and what percentage of that was young boys. Do you have any idea of the gender split there? So that was both. But what was interesting was coupled to that was nearly half of girls we spoke to aged 18 to 21 had experienced a violent sex act. So clearly it's getting into both experience and the way youngsters are thinking about sex and pornography is really affecting that. That was incredibly shocking, wasn't it? Did you hear anything from the young women that you spoke to about what the line is between sexual activities that they might enjoy and activities that they think that they should be enjoying. Was that a kind of discussion that you had? Absolutely. And I think there's real confusion and concern for girls. So there's that, is this an expectation? Is this something we should do? We're being pestered to do these things and then we regret it afterwards. And just some really like, my body should look like, you know, what I'm seeing in porn. You know, a boy won't like me if I don't do this. All the things that a sensitive young teenager just starting to think about their sexuality are going to have doubts about. So it, it was mostly being um, initiated by young men, these ideas of, of what sex should be. It wasn't so much that girls were coming up with the ideas themselves and saying we should be doing this because they felt... Well, right. actually, it's, it, there's real confusion for girls as well. So I think actually our boys are equally as concerned. I mean, I use that example that came from actually that conversation, you know, where I had the instance here about a young girl going for her first kiss with a boyfriend and he put his arms around her, her neck and, and sort of tried to strangle her because he'd seen it, you know, in pornography. And she's older now and she was sort of talking to me and sort of laughed about it. But there's clearly an element of confusion for boys too. They're looking at this thinking they should be doing it, being egged on. And it's absolutely not acceptable. I mean, I heard heartbreaking stories from girls, but equally difficult stories from boys feeling that when they want to stand up against these ideas, they get their friends, you know, calling them out and laughing at them and goading them. But I think with the girls, the stories are absolutely heartbreaking. And there's the self-doubt, the self-questioning. Is this normal? Do I have to do this to be liked? Why don't I look like this? And just some really awful experiences. You mentioned uh, that boys are confused. Can you you remember any any specific anecdotes of, of young boys that you met who had an experience that made them very confused? Boys have talked to us about not wanting to look at porn and their friends laughing at them and basically making them. Lots of those sorts of experiences. Boys witnessing things, witnessing boys are doing things that they felt made them feel uncomfortable, some really unpleasant things. So, yeah, lots of experiences. Rachel, do you think lockdown played any role in this? So I have seen a trend over 
as I said, in my role as a head and running a group of school, I've seen a trend of more and more cases of this coming sort of up as pastoral cases. The Me Too, the Everyone's Invited, so it's really shone a light on on just how prevalent these issues were. I mean, I was involved, part of when I, I started getting involved in this work, the government asked me to look at keeping uh, young people safer online following that Everyone's Invited movement. But I do think in lockdown, again, Lots of young boys have talked to me about this. They were spending time online looking at pornography without anything much more to do. And so I think it probably has heightened the issue. Rachel, do you have any solutions focused ideas about what needs to be done to make the sexual space and sexual culture a a kind of healthier place for boys and girls? Right, absolutely. And I think I think we can all play a part in it. At the moment, you'll know this week the online safety bill is mm-hmm. going through the House of Lords. Mm-hmm. I've worked really hard to ensure the child safety bit of the online safety bill is strong and will protect children and that tech firms are held to account. I mean, frankly, we found 41% of young people were seeing pornography for the first time on Twitter then on the sort of specialist porn sites. And after that, I think it was Snapchat and Instagram. So I think a strong online safety bill with accountability for the tech firms, you know, with financial penalties and if necessary, criminal penalties. And, you know, I'm really frustrated. These multi-billion pound firms should be stepping up and doing it anyway and sorting this out anyway. And I don't see why they can't now. I also think there's advice for parents. So one of the things the you know the young people who came in to give us advice told us was you know when we need our parents to understand what we're going through they advised because they all saw pornography so young they didn't think parents realized that nine-year-olds ten-year-olds would be seeing seeing it for the first time a parent might not have given the child an internet connected phone but someone else will show them it so it was have conversations with your child nice and early. But what kind of conversations should you have? I mean, what do, what's a parent supposed to say to a child about that? So again, I will tell you what the older teenagers said. They said, first of all, make sure you have conversations about sex and relationships in an age-appropriate way. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a group of young children the other day. I think it was a nine-year-old, eight or nine-year-old, started describing something he'd seen that he was upset about. And I realised he was talking about pornography. Someone showed him something and he was upset. So I was able to say to him, look, that was people acting. It wasn't real. And oh, there was real relief there. And then, you know, I was able to talk to the teacher who could talk to the parent and talk about how to talk to them about it. And I think as young people get older, they were saying those conversations are really helpful. One of the things I think that's quite funny, really, is they they talked about coming home from school as teenagers, and particularly boys, and mum saying, how's your day? everything all right and they said you know often we just go yeah it's all right but they said we want our mums to keep asking they also the teenagers were like boundaries so don't give internet phones to young there's no need for a nine or ten year old to have an internet phone you can have a non-connected phone they were very much pro preserving childhood keep them off the social media sites there's no need but they also talked about things like not letting a teenager take their phone to bed at night and I mean you only have to stop and listen to Molly Russell's father I mean, Molly scrolled through thousands of self-harm images at night that, you know, even the psychologist, psychiatrist in her inquest said it upset him, you know, and disturbed him. So, I mean, I think just recognising that although there are fantastic strengths about the online world and we want our youngsters to be able to sort of explore and learn and connect, you know, with others on there, 
at the same time, there are real potential harms. And I think school can do a lot too. I mean, I'm working at the moment on uh, some guidance around what children are telling us about sex and relationships education needs to be really good and really realistic and linked to what children are actually experiencing online, helping them navigate that. And talking about things like respect, consent, creating an ethos between boys and girls and an understanding about sex and relationships that is positive and respectful. And they really should not be learning about how to have relationships and learning about sex from hardcore pornography on social media sites. It's just not the right place. Rachel, I wonder what you think about, there's been some controversy this week about Sam Smith's new video, which features him not wearing very many clothes and sort of dancing quite provocatively. And also, I mean, you could say artists like Beyonce and Kim Kardashian and some of the photography that she's put out there. It sort of leads to this hyper-sexualized culture that we're living in. To what extent do you think that that is contributing to the problem? That's such a good question. And it's something I sort of wrangle with because I certainly don't want to be someone who's policing the internet and saying that's just too near the line or that that's crossing the line. I think there's a big difference between a Beyonce video and hardcore pornography. I mean, even if it is on an open social media site, it's really serious stuff. But I do think that's where the adults in the children's life can have those sorts of conversations particularly with younger children, you can think about the impact of some of those things. And with teenagers, you can talk about it and they're perfectly able to talk about that. But I'm not there to sort of police the internet. And I do think there's a huge difference between a Sam Smith video and hardcore pornography. What do you think has changed? Presumably, you think that this is a relatively new phenomenon. What do you think has changed over the last 30, 40 years, apart from technology and apart from social media, that may be contributing to young people being more interested in in quite disturbing forms of, of extreme sex? I think it's what they've got access to. Look, teenagers are always going to be interested. It's an absolutely natural thing to be interested in sex and relationships. And as a teacher, we shouldn't pretend that this hasn't always been something people are interested in. But I do think it's the availability of really serious material and its ubiquitous nature. And I don't think we can actually move away from that social media question. It's They are finding it. So, I mean, if you're seeing this stuff, from the age of 9, 10, 11, it's going to affect, I mean, we know it affects what what children think and feel. And we've got, I mean, when I did a survey on that survey, I was talking about how girls' well-being and mental health, they came up with their mental health as the biggest issue. Girls of 14 to 18 were the most unhappy. And you can't help but think unrealistic body image, these issues around how they're perceived as girls. And I actually think we need to do some serious work on celebrating and shoring up our girls in this country. You know, and it feels to me almost like we've gone backwards. You know, when I was that age, you know, we were just getting into girls can do everything, girls can be anything. And I can't believe that, that they're having to deal with now and the negative how negative they're often feeling about themselves. I just had a chat in my office to my younger members of staff, you know, the 20, 21 year olds. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, we're the generation that first saw this and you, none of you all saw it coming. So I think there have been some serious social changes. And I do think access to this material and the ubiquitous, you know, this material being everywhere is affecting them. Well, Rachel D'Souza, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to chat. Thanks ever so much. 
Ethan, how old were you when you learned about sex? Oh, God. What is an acceptable... That's the thing. There's probably not an acceptable answer because it was far too young. Really? Yeah. I, I feel like when I was 11, 12, there were definitely kids in my class sharing porn around. What? You think that's that well, crazy? Well, I think I was quite sheltered, maybe. Well, mm, there wasn't... Well, I guess you probably were more technologically. Well, I was thinking as Rachel was talking there that I I feel very lucky to have missed the brunt force Mm. of this. I didn't have a smartphone until I was 17 and about to go to uni. Instagram and Snapchat didn't take off until I was around that age as well. Mm. So I wasn't brought up with just this insane amount of lurid material at your fingertips i mean the kind of stuff which was being sent around my classroom was you know grainy pictures from a sony ericsson it wasn't the same level at all but i do think boys my age were subjected to sexual images still far too young but maybe that is just a generational thing i think i think boys like to push the boundaries a bit earlier than girls perhaps maybe i think also when I think about things that I learned when I was young, it was all through word of mouth. So people talking mm. about it or you'd read something and MSN Messenger was the biggest thing. So everything was written down. Images weren't so much of a thing. So I remember, for instance, I think I was like 10. I had an older friend and she told me what oral sex was. And I remember thinking that she was joking and mm. that it was like people don't do that. I was so like, people do that and enjoy it. I didn't think about it again until I was older. <laughs> like, So I think if I would have seen an image and a video, it would have maybe lodged slightly differently in my brain. I did think one thing that Rachel said about young girls now and their body confidence issues is so interesting because I remember when I wrote about this, um, about women and their problems with watching too much porn, the sort of underlying issue with all of the women who I spoke to and the professionals who had been seeing these women with these problems had all said the same thing. The bottom line always seems to be a problem with confidence and not feeling good enough and feeling like you have a need to prove yourself to the, in most cases, man who's on the other side of these activities. And so I wonder whether this idea that women like these things and more women are liking rough sex is perhaps a symptom of this cultural problem we have, which is more and more young women don't like themselves or feel that they have to perform or be a certain way in order to be comfortable with themselves and in order for the rest of the world to be comfortable with them. It's funny you say it because I almost took it the opposite way. When Rachel was talking about how we need to celebrate young women more I mean of course we do I wouldn't ever say we shouldn't but I think it was surprising she didn't talk more about nurturing and mentoring young boys because we know over the last few months that this is a massive problem you've got online influences like Andrew Tate oh I knew he was going to come who who is what's become known as like the manosphere this kind of dark seedy place in which young men listen to these sex traffickers Mm. for relationship advice you know he talks about how women deserve to be raped and secretly want to be and that kind of stuff you know the story of the 12 year old reaching out and trying to strangle the first girl he ever kissed I, I wouldn't be surprised if that kid hadn't seen that kind of content and we were talking in the office the other day about what are the positive 
role models for young mm. men. There are none. And we, we couldn't, couldn't come up with think a single of a one. Single Although one. Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford. But I went home and asked my flatmates about this. And we thought that if you take away sports stars, mm. you don't actually say anything, really. I asked my friend and he said Rio Ferdinand. Again. <laughs> I mean, I was like bit out of the yeah, uh, demographic. I mean, I guess these are, these are. I mean, these obviously are genuine role models in in their own way. But I don't think there are male thinkers. I, mm. I I've never heard Rio Ferdinand or Marcus Rashford talk about relationships, and there isn't a positive male figure out there who can talk to young men about what is normal. You know how to approach a first relationship or a first kiss and, and why you definitely shouldn't strangle someone without their consent. How There's... do you think you learned what was normal? I think I had very strong female role models in my life, not least my mum. Mm. But I feel like a lot of it was trial and error and I look back and don't really think there are any men in the public sphere that I looked up to. And I feel like that's probably only got worse I find it fascinating that somebody like Andrew Tate is attractive to men. Everything he says to me is repulsive <laughs> and a complete turn off instantly. And I would have imagined it would be to everyone I know, male and female. He's obviously giving off something that to a certain type of boy, of which there are many, it's attractive and it's captivating. What is that? I have no idea because it's not aimed at the people I know or the men I know and it's definitely not aimed at men my age and I think this is why Andrew Tate took the media by surprise I mean you know this is a guy who's raking in billions of views and I think most mainstream commentators and politicians and charity figureheads probably wouldn't have known who he was mm. because it was just taking place on young men's phones. To what extent do you think that there's a crossover with incel culture? Is this sort of part of the same thing? I, I definitely think it is. It's disgruntled I, men with fragile egos yes, who feel 100%. hard done by. Mm. I, except that incel culture, which is involuntary celibates, um, people who have, say they've sworn off having sex because they can't find anyone to have sex with. But I think the whole point of Andrew Tate is he, he promises a way to fix that problem. And says that all you need just make them do it. Well, exactly. That I mean, that's literally his message: is, is be more forceful, but you know, be an alpha male, throw your strength around, and and it's so unsurprising to see that this is the effect of that kind of advice. I do always struggle with these conversations when somebody in authority like Rachel D'Souza is questioned about solutions. They always seem to be slightly flimsy. It's always. Have the conversation, have the conversation early, talk to children. But what do you actually talk to them about? And what do you say? And what do you not say? I would say that it's interesting. There was, there's a lot being made about how schools are trying to tackle Andrew Tate style influences. And it's, it's all about trying to teach boys to re respect women. And I also think it all sounds a bit flimsy, you know, doing these, mm. these kind of special education sessions where you tell men that, you know, women are to be respected and, and I, I don't know how much those kind of conversations really go into the heads of young children because they have the voices they listen to and it's it's usually not their teacher. Mm. So I really do think that from somewhere we need to create an environment where we have more young male influencers talking about sex and relationships in a more healthy way. Mm. And I think maybe that's because up until now, there hasn't been much space for that. There is 
been a lot of debate recently about why there aren't any male dating columnists, but there's countless female dating columnists because men date too. So why aren't there any male writers talking about it? And I think that all ties into it, right? Men are afraid to talk about their feelings. Men are afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah. And that's been a space for them to talk about their feelings. Uh, yeah, that's a, a challenge, definitely. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, encouraging them to be interested in things that aren't macho or means that they're going to be drifting towards the same type of boys who are interested in the same type of small pool of things and activities. I, I think to bring it back to the sex thing, I also think it's really important not to go out and demonize certain forms of non-conventional sex. So I think what you should be telling children and teenagers and mm. young adults is communication. If you want to do those things, then have an upfront discussion with the person you're dating and say, are you interested in these things? Are you open to trying them? I, it's all about talking, isn't it? You've got to teach kids what consent is and you've got to teach them that you've got to have a dialogue with the person you're dating. I think that's true. And in an ideal world, that's brilliant. But I think the fact is the majority of these situations happen when the woman is in the position of vulnerability. And given the history of sexual violence and sexual aggression towards women I think it's a really tricky line to cross and I'm not sure that it's ever really possible to get that balance right I mean maybe it is but I would just be worried that you know in situations where it is it is ostensibly the woman who is the one being strangled being choked whatever maybe women could say that they like that but it's what the message of that is that I find quite but I'm not entirely convinced that the figures, you know, these, these shocking figures about how many rapes happen in school and how many sexual assaults happen in school. I don't think we're breeding a generation of rapists and sexual assaulters. I don't think, you know, in 10 years time, there are going to be more adult rapists than there were 10 years ago. Really? I just think this is a bunch of young children who haven't learned proper sexual etiquette. Mm. You know, in the same way that when you're young, you make stupid mistakes because you don't know how a relationship works and you wise up when you get older. I feel like this is all part of the same thing. I, I just think these kids aren't taught how a relationship works at a young enough age and they're acting out fantasies, fantasies they've been told are how a relationship works. So I do think communication is, is the most key thing here. I'm too old for all of this. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, it's all we've got time for on this week's Medical Minefield. You can read about all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in old-fashioned paper form on the Mail app or at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.